This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on Newstalk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath hosting the second hour of this program for you. Lots to talk about in this second hour. We're going to be talking about sex and kids and what to say to them and what they want you to say to them or how they want you to talk to them about love and relationships, not just the sex part. And are they having as much sex as we think they are? Sometimes I think nobody's having sex. Anyway... (laughs) But that's my clinical practice. I have a clinical practice in North Vancouver where I see patients. I also do telehealth, and I see patients using a HIPAA-compliant program called VC, and it is HIPAA-compliant for privacy. So that's why I use that program. And um, and so there's lots and lots of people from around the world who are struggling with issues like this. I'm going to read you a couple of emails as well, but also we're going to be talking about uh, why older women will rule the world sooner rather than later. And not all men are bad. We might think that too, given all of the headlines, and, and why being a doctor is harder for women, and also the dangers of porn. But uh, I'm going to give you some food ideas for your Christmas party that have an aphrodisiac tendency. So that will be helpful for you. And some of those sexual ideas and thoughts that are not helpful for you. We're going to dispel some of those myths and help you get back to the bedroom. But there's so many things you got to do before you get back to the bedroom around yourself. And self-care is really important, especially as this time of year. People-pleasing is a disease, let me tell you. There are so many people that want to please other people or need affirmation. They do it so much that they get depleted. They actually become tired. They can't breathe. They can't take a deep breath. They may get anxiety. They may have sleep issues. A couple of pointers that I give to a lot of my patients. One of them is when you get up in the morning, make your bed. Sounds silly, but it's actually very effective because if you, if you do nothing else that day, because you don't feel good about yourself, your mood is bad, you're down, you've suffered loss, whatever, you have at least made your bed. And no matter how rough your day is, at least you can come home to a made bed and get into a made bed, which is very comfortable. And by the way, when you get into your made bed, be grateful. Gratitude is so important in terms of helping yourself uh, have a better life. And the other thing is I work a little bit in the corrections area and I had a more short term, but I had um, an opportunity to visit one of the prisons where people stayed on average 10 years. And I was interested in all of this because I had only really imagined it as to what it looked like on TV for people who actually lived in prison. And so when I went on the tour, I noticed that um, there was exercise equipment. There was places for the prisoners to go outside. There were places for the prisoners to socialize while they're in there. There was healthy food being served. Of course, there's no alcohol that is served by the prison anyway. Maybe it's brought into the prison. You never know, but they're always looking out for that. Um, no drugs. The same goes for that as well. But then they said to me, would you like to go to the tailor shop? And I, you know, it was a long tour. There were hundreds of prisoners in this particular facility. And to be honest with you, I really didn't want to go to the tailor shop. (laughs) 
I I was done. But of course, I couldn't say no, that people pleaser in me. So I went and, and I'm so glad I went to the tailor shop because I, I met about three or four prisoners and, and the person who was leading that. And I was very struck because one of the men, and, and quite frankly, about 95% of the people in this prison were men. And the, all of the people in the tailor shop, and there were about four or five of them, were men. And one of them, although he had on prison garb, I actually had to think, is he a prisoner or is he just dressing like that because he's, you know, part of the, <laughs> because he's helping the rest out. But no, he was a prisoner as well. And what was interesting was they told me that all of those that had worked in this particular area were a particular type of um, prisoner. They had, they had all committed sex crimes. And the, it took them years to get to this place where they were paid $3 an hour. And they had to be on their absolute very best behavior. And they needed years of that before they got into this job, the opportunity to work. And, and I was struck by what made them healthy. They were, they were productive. They had purpose. They gave back. A lot of the work that they do in the tailor shop is uh, to create Christmas stockings, for example, that they send around the world, or Christmas pouches that are sent around the world to children. So they're giving back, they're exercising, they're eating well, they're um, socializing, all those things that are integral to a healthy life. If only they had thought of those things before, perhaps they'd gotten into alcohol or drugs or um, other unhealthy practices or didn't receive counseling. They also received counseling in the prison. They had drug and alcohol addiction programs as well. They also had education that they provided. So all those things in life that are important for uh, as healthy a life as possible. Now, there are some other things, but you know what? That's a basic tenet. If you want to improve upon your life, exercise every day, make sure you're getting sleep, stay away from the drugs and alcohol, um, and make sure that your sex is consensual and mutual that you are, have the healthiest relationship possible, eat properly, eat a low glycemic index, high protein, low carb diet, um, you know, keep your weight in a healthy zone. Um, because, you know, when you feel better about yourself, you present better to the world as well. And also be grateful. Keep a gratitude journal, you know, be grateful for the air that you breathe. I met a woman recently in my clinical practice who had not only had a bone marrow transplant, but she'd had a double lung transplant as well. Mother of a couple of kids, uh, and she was an angel. She was just delightful. She had so much gratitude. She was just so grateful for everything, and she had been through hell for the last decade. Um, and so if you can go outside of yourself and do something for other people, you might find it a lot easier to handle this time of year. The most wonderful time. It's the most wonderful time <laughs> of the year. <laughs> uh, I went to a fabulous concert last night. Uh, the guitar player was amazing oh. at every genre of music. He was able to just rock it, and he had such great stage presence as well. Uh, music is very good for the soul also. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, so that is um, my little recipe for, you know, you think you have it tough? Look to somebody else. They might have it tougher. And you never know uh, what shoes they, they've been walking in either. Uh, I wanted to read a couple of emails before we go because I usually leave them to the end of the show, but I thought this might be kind of nice. Here, this little email will dispel a few myths that older people aren't having sex, number one, but they certainly are. Dear Maureen, been married 49 years. Last 10 have been sexless. Wife is a strong Christian and thinks all I think about is sex and money. Doesn't want to attempt to try to work it out. Uses age as a crutch. Always condemning me to her friends, her relatives, and mine as well. Life is all about her. We are just roommates, but not even good at that. Just cohabitate. Anyhow, your TEDx talk was excellent and realistic. A good listen to. Sincerely, Bill, the handyman. (laughs) Wonder why he called himself that. There's always that. Um, But not everybody is happy with me. Dear Maureen, your talk was simply disappointing. Your TEDx talk, by the way. As usual, it's the man who is interested and the woman who is the problem. Did you know that one of the top Google searches today is by women wanting to know how to get their boyfriend partner to have sex with them? No joke to me that I live with a man who would rather fall asleep on the couch watching TV than even come to bed, who finds every excuse with me why there's no sex. I'm good looking, healthy, attractive to others, but to him, I'm the issue. When I'm not the excuse of the day, he just says he's the problem, so maybe he will leave. It's more painful because resources like you say publicly and also joke that women are the issue in sexless relationships more than men. You have no idea how this plays into the pain I already feel. Shame on you. Well, I felt family when I got that email. But, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it's actually low desire is more common in women. But when it happens to men and when men don't want to have sex with a woman, it's actually far more devastating. It strikes at her femininity, her sensuality, her sexuality, her sexual self-esteem, and it leads to loneliness. And loneliness is a killer. And it's, it's really even far more painful because when guys, you know, they're kind of all in it together. They're, you know, sex falls off in a, lot, in a lot of marriages, especially when the kids come along or there's issues in the marriage or there's infidelity that has occurred um, or there's problems with the in-laws or finances. And so guys are kind of, you know, in it together, you know, but it's, it's far more shameful even when a woman uh, is deprived of sex from her male partner. And it's very, very heartbreaking um, as well. I did touch upon it. I don't want to, I, I really don't like to defend, um, you know, become defensive. I touched upon it in the TEDx talk, but obviously not enough. There are a number of reasons that men don't want it. sex, depression, medications, low testosterone levels, having sex with somebody else. That's the reality. But for both of these people who have emailed me, I noticed that both of them, did you notice anything, uh, Amir, about both of those emails in particular? Not really, no. They both blamed the person that they're in the relationship oh, with. Yeah, but that's okay. Point. You're not a quite a se- trained sex therapist. <laughs> um, but not you know yet. what? They both blame the other person, and that's lethal. The One of the, you know, it's, there's so much advice that I give to people, but one of the, best things I think you can do is take a look in the mirror. How is it that you have contributed to the problems in your relationship? And if that doesn't work, you can always, like I remember um, hearing some older women down in Florida (laughs) at my parents who would say they snuck Prozac into their husband's coffee Uh because he was so miserable that... um, (laughs) 
So why don't you sneak some aphrodisiacs into your partner's uh, meals? So ginkgo biloba, it's a powerful energy boost. It'll stimulate the blood vessels in the genital area. Chocolate's another one. Truffles are another one, perfect for this time of year. They contain a substance called androsterone, and that closely resembles the male sex hormone testosterone. Ginger helps in pelvis circulation. Blood flow is really important for uh, great sex, especially a great uh, blood supply to the genital organs. Saffron, it's an essence that is known to enhance the sexual desire of men and provide long-lasting orgasms, guys. So the shelves will be out of saffron tomorrow <laughs> after that. Um, cel- celery also contains androsterone. Uh, pineapple contains bromelain, which stimulates you naturally, but also has another uh, unexpected attraction. Um, it For women, it actually turns sperm uh, into a, a much nicer flavor. It makes it sweet and tasty. I've you know, that actually, yeah. yeah, and so that will you know make your birthday presents that <laughs> much nicer. <laughs> and basil is another aphrodisiac, and some of the properties combine some folklore and physiologies. Um, it's it's actually termed "kiss me, Nicholas" in Italy, and it's known to increase the sexual desire in men. So basil also has a very warming effect. And that also helps promote circulation. So there's lots of things you can do, but start with yourself. Take a look at yourself. Take a big old mirror. And what are the things that you have done to contribute to the problems in your relationship? I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Maureen McGrath, thank you so much for being here with me this evening. It's always my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, can I talk about porn in three minutes? We don't have... Uh, <laughs> I guess it depends on the kind of porn you're talking Quick, about. Quick, get it done, right? Uh, <laughs> the sneaky kind of porn where you don't want somebody to walk in. No, that's not the type at all. But I was interested in some research recently out of Harvard University. Uh, Harvard scientist, a psychiatrist, Kevin Magiers, specializing in cognitive behavioral therapy. He looked at porn in a, in a very interesting way. Uh, you may or may not know that if you place a male rat in a cage with a receptive female, they will make but once done, that's it. They will not mate anymore, even if the female is still receptive. He loses all interest in sex. But if you put another rat in there, that um, male will mate again and again every time you put a new um, rat in there. It's called the Coolidge effect. And so pornography has a particular kind of power where it tricks the man's brain, the man's lower part of the brain, not that low one, uh, <laughs> Midbrain, no. Um, And because there's a drawback of this part of the brain in men is that it can't tell the difference between image and a reality. So it's not your fault, all this porn that you're watching. So the same processes are kicked off. And so the problem with pornography is that it when men watch it, it offers men an unlimited number of supposedly willing females. So they think they have the pick of the litter, quite frankly, and there's going to be one after another. And every time the man sees a new potential partner, even if on a computer screen, it gets his sex drive going again. 
And there's a role that dopamine plays. And so dopamine is the drug of desire. And when you see something desirable, your brain just, you know, just pours out this dopamine and saying, go for it, do whatever it it takes. And it fixes your attention on that desirable object or on that um, woman that is on the screen. And that gives you an, an intense power of concentration. So when somebody clicks and sees a new pornographic image, the lower brain thinks it's the real thing. And that this this lady must win over with all of his might, and he gets an enormous uh, flood of dopamine in his upper brain, and that causes incredible electrical energy. And so the first exposure to a new female who is a potential mate wasn't something that happened to a lot of our ancestors. So this is something new, and the brain hasn't evolved in the same way to keep up with that. So it's very interesting research, and that's why pornography causes a vicious circle and why people get overstimulated because of the dopamine that is occurring in their brain. So you got to think twice and, and think it's really having an effect on your brain. So if you notice that you're watching porn way too much, it could be um, the fact that you continue to require more of a thrill, more of a thrill to get that same dopamine thrill. So you need more um, more exposure to it. And so it's one click after another. And so with each new click, you're getting another flood of dopamine time after time, click after click. As long as it continues, there's this dopamine binge. So think about that. There's an effect on your brain and that may have a, a, a problem or maybe related to why you're having difficulty having sex with your partner. I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show, the final strokes of the program right now. I'm Maureen McGrath. Thanks for being here with me this evening. Uh, there's a lot of talk about sexual harassment in the news, uh, especially down in the U.S. And there's the whole hashtag MeToo campaign, which I do believe every woman on this planet belongs to. Um, you know, but it's important that we not tar everybody with the same brush. Not all men behave badly sexually. A lot of men uh, make uh, inappropriate jokes, yes, uh, and and sometimes they are actually funny. (laughs) (laughs) And you might laugh along with them. It doesn't mean, you know, nine years from now you actually um, file a a predatory lawsuit against them. Um, But we cannot generalize all men as sexual predators. There are definitely differences between uh, how men and women view sex. Men and women grow up with the same attachment needs, but they speak entirely different languages. And I, and I believe I have discussed this on the program in the past. I see it in my clinical practice. It's so easy for women to talk about their feelings. It's very difficult for men to do that. Um, we, um, you know, so things are set up to benefit women, uh, especially in, in the clinical practice. And, you know, men don't often have that wide range of emotion and not having access or agency over that can be debilitating for people. And, you know, also women have a razor sharp memory in terms of what their male partner or male husband did wrong 17 and a half years ago on such and such of a date when the guy doesn't even remember being there (laughs) at that time. Uh, So we we have to address 
the problem. And, and we must be clear that not all men want to harm women or engage in non-consensual sexual contact. And we also need to understand men and women's differences between our attachment language so that the words we use to express desire and love and our, and our desire and hope for deep intimacy with a sexual partner. And so, you know, some men are bad actors in, the, in that sexual arena, for sure. Uh, but we, we can't actually pathologize all of men's sexual behavior. And I've learned from my prostate cancer patients that men desire intimacy. It's very important to them. And, and also, uh, men deal with stress through sex. The last thing a stressed woman wants is sex. But that's the first thing on the the agenda of a guy who is stressed and they, and you know, never the twain shall meet. So it's just understanding those differences. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very complex and we have misinformation out there and we have this idea that um, men are only interested in lust and physical gratification, that they're, they're not interested in, in courtship of any type or, romancing the stone, shall we say, um, and sort of this mating effort as well. And so women, uh, it's thought that women seek romanotopia, whereas men seek pornotopia. Mm-hmm. And there may be some truth in that for sure. Um, so there, there's a lot of differences. And, and it's, it's important to understand that. And it is important that there is intimacy in a relationship and you know it's it's a vow of uh, of a marriage and people often think that the only vow that matters is infidelity i have a very interesting week coming up this week amir but i can't say anything just yet oh. i know you'll have to tune in you'll be here next week sure. <laughs> but just be forewarned i just might come back with a southern draw <laughs> <laughs> y'all That's pretty good. And uh, I hope so. I read the entire deposition with my southern accent. (laughs) Uh, So I hope you'll join me next week because I have kept this in me for months and dying to tell it. But, of course... I'm a good Irish Catholic girl that went to (laughs) convent school, and I do as I'm told, basically. Um, So, but anyway, that's, I digress. Uh, So it's just important to understand the differences between men and women and put yourself in their shoes, just just understanding whatever the opposite is, sex is for you um, or whomever you're in a relationship with. That's always important to do that. But, you know, there are some bad, really bad boys, like we like the bad boys, you know, but Mm -hmm. these are actually um, evil evil men. And there are four psychological traits of sexual harassers. And there are some traits that make men prone to sexually harassing others. And it's, it's a terrible um, thing that happens. There, there's devastating effects, but I just want to tell you about the four characteristics of sexual harassers. There's the dark triad. um, That is the, uh, it's the three in one, which is narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism. So those, when somebody is of that dark triad, so they, they view uh, injuring, psychologically injuring somebody else as sport, or they want to take your light for their darkness, or they are, um, you know, very, very ev- troubled in, in an evil way, and they are really dark. They, they often can be very charming initially, lure people in, lure women in in particular, and then go for the attack. So those are a brutal 
um, type of a person. And, you know, the narcissist has an inflated view of their own talents, and they and that's coupled with a lack of empathy and a deep urgency for approval. And narcissists don't actually care if you like them, but they do need you to think they're powerful and worthy of admiration, and they are so not. There's also moral disengagement. So you can imagine uh, that this is another um, really incredible uh, characteristic. And, and moral disengagement is a slippery slope. It is a cognitive process by which individuals justify their own corruption and they create their own version of reality and the moral principles don't apply to them. And so they, you know, I often say, you know, if you see somebody texting as they're driving, I'm just like, the rules don't apply to them. Well, right. with this type of person, it's the moral rules that don't apply to them. And, and so that's another. Also, employment in a male-dominated field, and that's interesting. Um, I find that they're more likely to be sexual harassers. There's that whole um, underlying uh, misogyny. Um, and, and the fourth one, in fact, is hostile attitudes towards women. And, you know, you see that in, in workplaces yeah. and because people don't want... Um, women to succeed or they prevent women from getting ahead. Um, and so there's, there can be displacement of responsibility and they will also assign this sexual harassing to others outside of them. Um, but there's, they, they're, they dehumanize and they also um, give blame where it shouldn't be. They blame the victim quite often. But, you know, the bottom line is that sexual harassers have zero trouble sleeping at night um, because through their moral disengagement, they they believe they've done nothing wrong. So there's no conscience there. And they feel that their actions are normal and deserved. And so they don't, they, they don't understand. I mean, I don't even like to say they don't understand. They don't believe that they have caused anybody harm. But this can be some of the most harmful behavior in life. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. We are in the final strokes of the program. I have lots to discuss. I want to talk to you a little bit about some research out of Harvard University about how we should educate our children about love and relationships. It's not just about the sex. Uh, that you think that they might be having all the time. Some of the research might surprise you. But I, before I do that, I realize that some parents may not know how to educate their children, their teenage children, children, adolescents, adult children even, about love and relationships because they don't get it right themselves. And being in an intimate relationship takes a lot of psychological flexibility. And so I thought I'll just give you a little education on how to get unstuck from that uh, unsexy life that you might be living. Uh, you want to remain in the moment, you know, living in the moment, because that's really all you have. So mindfulness is important. Acceptance is another one. Valued living, uh, committed action and observing yourself, uh, yourself as context, and also that disentanglement, that cognitive diffusion. And these Utilizing these processes can help you to get unstuck from unhelpful sexual thinking that may actually be preventing you from having the kind of sex life and relationship you want and deserve. And so the observing self 
is that silent, quiet part of yourself that persists through time. It's observing and notice, it notices change in the world. It's the um, changes that go inside of your head that, um, without getting caught up in all of those changes. And so the, the self isn't a single thing. It's a, it's a complex um, combination of different perspectives, including the, you know, the stories you tell yourself, your narrative, there's your biological self, what's, what's happened to you. And so when you view that self as content view and see the world from the perspective of your narrative self, you may see yourself as a collection of your thoughts and feelings and ideas. And so you see yourself as the same thing as your thoughts and feelings and sensations and memories. And much of this view is unhelpful, outdated, and it may not match up to the present reality. So a perfect idea of this or perfect example is your self view of your body image. And so that's a key component of your sexual identity. So whatever your mind tells you about your body is what you believe, but that's probably very different from what other people people say about you or, or whatever, what others think about, about that. So of course, many, um, patients of mine, especially the female patients are caught up in all those objective measures, their height, their weight, their body shape, their hair. And, um, they typically have, you know, a, a very average or, or even attractive appearance. Uh, and so they, But when you ask them to describe themselves, it doesn't match what I might think of them, for example. And so they may have a very um, derogatory sense of themselves. They may describe themselves as fat or, you know, too thin or or not tall enough or, you know, thighs are too thick. And so, so if you... You, your mind might get stuck in this if you get stuck in this sexual rut and that your mind may be telling you things about your body or your femininity or your sensu- sensuality that keep you from unleashing your inner sexual power. And that is really important. And you can tell the difference between those people who really believe in their, in their sexiness and their sensuality from those who don't. And it could be the fact that your mind is telling you things about yourself. So you don't want to get stuck on those types of things. I don't have enough time to go through every single one of those because I do want to get to this research um, about, uh, but, but think about that. That's a really important message that you're giving to your children because how you look at yourself is how your children are going to look at themselves as well. Are they going to view those things as the most important things about them or in their relationship or that they have to be with somebody who meets those qualifications because you may not accept them. Um, but so it's interesting because talking to children about sex uh, is is really important, and but it's very hard to do because sex is such a taboo subject. And so there is a, a Harvard researcher, Rick Weisbord. He's a psychologist and researcher who has actually been collecting data on the sex and love habits of young people for a long time. And what he has found might, in fact, surprise you. Number one is that the kids aren't having as much sex as we think they are. But what what was also very interesting was that parents tend to spend an, an incredible amount of, of time and education um, preparing their children for work and for school. But we do nothing to prepare our children for the tender, tough, subtle, generous, sensual focused work of developing mature, healthy relationships. And this can be very troubling. And and so we need to be preparing these children. And there are some ways that we can do that. One of them is the hookup culture, which is so popular uh, and, and, you know, talked about in the media quite a bit and quite sensational, but it might just be a big 
old myth. The kids are not having nearly as much sex as we think they are. And in fact, there was a study from 2008, and it was about a group of college students in the U.S. were asked what percentage of guys on campus they thought had sex on any given weekend. What do you think? How many guys do you think are having sex on campuses on the weekend? I, I mean, if I had to guess, I would say like maybe 40% of them. Eh, no, <laughs> the study survey respondents uh, guessed eighty percent. Wow. The reality is as low as five percent. Oh and but but hookups are so culturally visible, and so that may be one of the reasons. And so we uh, cannot perpetuate this harmful myth, and so that's something to do. Also, sexual harassment and, and assault remain massive unaddressed problems, and there are a significant number of young men out there who think that all they can't do is rape somebody. So, but there are so many other things that they believe that they can do. They don't realize how harmful and dangerous behaviors like catcalling, pressuring, and coercion can be. And so this is something else that parents need to talk to their kids about. It's about consent. You need to have that conversation. And that's out of uh, results of this particular study. And guess what? Teens and young adults want more guidance than we are actually giving them. And most parents we know are not thrilled about having the talk. And it's a tough subject to to, uh, talk about. Mm -hmm. But you want to talk about intimacy. You want to talk about attraction to somebody, being with the right person, being in a healthy relationship. And 70% of of the surveyed young adults reported wishing they had received more or better guidance on the emotional aspects of relationships from their parents or their health classes. And so a lot of, um, I also wanted to mention that so so many of the girls who had been sexually harassed or catcalled had gone to the uh, administration and the organizations who just said, boys will be boys. We cannot perpetuate that myth that boys will be boys. We need all people to be human beings. We need them to act respectfully and behave respectfully. So many parents overlook um, the, that their child may be in an abusive relationship um, that, you know, it's it's more than just about teaching them to put a condom on a banana, quite frankly. You need to talk about the day-to-day work uh, that goes into building a healthy relationship. And, they, and you need to model that as well and so that they can see. So this means beyond going um, or going beyond the platitudes and just those regular things. You need to talk about attraction, infatuation, and love. And and how can it be that we're more attracted to people? The more attracted to people we are, the less they are in us. And sometimes people don't even know the answer to that. And that's that's the thing. It's that, you know, we as humans, we don't necessarily want what we, we, we can, what we know we can have. Mm-hmm. I often give that advice. Don't let them know you've got them eating out of your hand. You know, you've, you got what I said. You, you get what I meant. Anyway, <laughs> you can't always, you know, you've got to be, have a little mystery there. Have a little, and you know, is it, is it that you want them because you can't have them? Love flies out the window quickly, you know, and, and marriage and a, and a relationship has a lot of challenges with it. And, and, you know, there may be issues with the kids. There may be mental illness that comes into play. There may be financial problems. There can be whole lots of issues. And so all of that is part of a healthy relationship. And also, what is it that you sign up for when you marry somebody, right? And people get married very young, and then they realize, oh, whoa, well, that was the wrong thing to do, you know? Um, And so there's so much um, about that, but it's so important. Sexual attraction is really important in the person that you're going to um, stay 
uh, you know, be in a relationship with, be in a long-term relationship with. And so, you know, things can be um, very challenging. So what also, you know, you may marry somebody who becomes very ill. I had a patient in my clinical practice this week and, you know, she had been very ill for a long time and her husband left her after she was treated and cured and, and in remission and disease-free you know, after that. And maybe he had a bit of a complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Who knows? But also, maybe you've married a a doctor and uh, she's a female. You know, being a doctor is hard, but it's harder for women. And, you know, it's no secret that medical training is grueling and difficult. There's long hours, little sleep. Well, there's a new study out in the JAMA Internal Medicine uh, uh, publication that suggests that the mental health of more than 3,100 newly minted doctors at 44 hospitals across the country, and that was what this particular study was about, men and women before starting their residency had similar levels of depressive symptoms, but after six months, both genders experienced a sharp rise in depression scores, which is frightening, but it was more pronounced for women. So that's um, pretty significant research. I'll probably go over that next week because we are at the uh, end of the program. Thank you so much, Amir, for helping out with the program tonight. Uh, You did a bang-up job, as usual. And uh, remember, you can uh, go to my website, backtothebedroom.ca. You can follow me on Twitter, at back2thebedroom. You're going to want to be here next week because I'm going to report on what I am just about to embark on for this entire week and it's just an experience I've actually never had in my entire life and I am very much looking forward to it. Uh, So wish me luck. I can't tell you what it is but I definitely will next week. Until next week, remember when you stumble on this gravel road of life, make it part of your dance. I am Maureen McGrath and you have been listening to the Sunday Night Sex Show on News Talk 980 CKNW. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.